Okay, we are in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And I'll start reading from verse 1, although we're going to pick up reading, we're going to pick up studying from where we left off last week, which was with verse 4. But I'll start studying from reading from Acts 13, verse 1. Now the word Antioch in the church, there was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, so we're going to just stop right there and and just reflect on verse 4. Last week we had learned about the church and the makeup of that church in Antioch, how it was ethnically quite diverse. And how they were ministering, and the Holy Spirit spoke. And the Holy Spirit started calling people, Barnabas and Saul specifically. Then he says, so being sent out, in verse 4, by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent them out. If you will allow yourself in life to be sent out by the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to have your life impacted by the Holy Spirit, it will be. But the Holy Spirit will never force Himself upon us. You know, sometimes when I talk to people, I talk about the impact that... God can have upon our lives if we allow Him to do it. Allow Him to come into our vocation, to come into our work. And I've heard this from people sometimes. No, well, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to know I did it. I'm not asking God to help me with this in my career. I'm just saying, hey, I want to do it. I want to see what I can accomplish. And if that is our view, that is perfectly fine. Remember, there's this enormous freedom that God gives us to choose our own way and to choose the way that we will go. I will tell you for myself that I don't want that type of way. I have learned from myself, just looking at myself and my own life, that I can be terribly unbenevolent. I can be terribly unkind. I can be full of selfishness. And terribly self-centered. That is me. That is Jim Tour. That's who I am. That is what's reflected in the dealings that I go through with other people in life. And if you say, well, I'm naturally pretty nice. I'm naturally good. I'm naturally gracious. That is fine. Then let your graciousness and your goodness carry you throughout your life. But I would bet, although I don't know for sure that you're probably more like me than what you think. That you will end up being selfish, you will end up being unbenevolent, you'll end up being unkind, and just like me, you will say many things you wish you had never said, 
And so you'll do many silly things to try to cover up the things that you said, if you're at all like me. If you're at all like me, you would, you would have terrible difficulty working closely with other people over the long term. Because I think that's inherent within people, to go the wrong way. And what the scriptures say is that the Holy Spirit sent out Paul and Barnabas. And it is not just Paul and Barnabas that are sent out by the Holy Spirit. God will send each of us out into a workplace, into a place that we can go. And the scriptures talk about this very issue that I'm talking about. And the scriptures are pretty clear as to what happens when we decide not to follow the wisdom of God and His ways, when we feel as if we can do it on our own. So it's not just me that has observed this about my own life and observed it about most people that I'm around. I don't know too many people that are naturally good, that naturally do nice stuff. I don't know too many people like that. There are some, probably, but not too many of us can put, put claim to that. And in particular, I don't think that Christians can put claim to being naturally nice. Because God says specifically that He has not chosen the great ones of the world to be His followers. He has not chosen the, the, the profound choices. That's not us. If we are believers in Christ, God says He has chosen the base things of the world. That means the base, the basement, the low things. The despised. God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. Look in, in, in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Here's what the scriptures say about this sort of thing. Verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make you know, I, I, I will make my words known to you. So what the scriptures say is that the wisdom of God is not a quiet thing. The wisdom of God is just crying out. It is here. In these scriptures are embodied wisdom for our lives. And this is why I like to meditate on that. The wisdom for our lives is embodied in this book. And it's crying out saying, if you follow these principles and you follow these ways, you will begin to be able to move from being unkind to kind, from being unjust to just. And you will be able to build things on in your life. And if you feel like, no, I'm going to do this. I can do it. I want to see. The Bible says, wisdom is crying out. And it's saying, hey, simple-minded, just, just settle down for a minute and listen to me. Just settle down and stop being so uh, simple-minded. Stop being so foolish. It says, uh, um, it says, and fools hate knowledge. Scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. The scriptures warn us about this in thinking that we can do it all by ourselves. 
in thinking that, hey, I'm going to make this decision by myself. I will decide what my career is going to be. I will decide where I'm going to go. And that's what I will do with my life. And the Bible is saying, hey, simple-minded, listen up here. If you allow the Holy Spirit to have His place in these decisions, things are going to go much better for you. You are perfectly free and you have all the right in the world to not submit your life to anyone or anything. But faith is a willful submission to another. That's what faith is. I willingly submit myself to your counsel, O God. Father, begin to speak to me what is best in these decisions in my life. Begin to speak to me because faith is a willing submission to another. That I believe that your way is higher than my way. And then look what the Scriptures say. And this is the pattern that I've seen. The Scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and, and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. Now, there are some, probably very few that are here, but there are some that will say, I don't believe the words in this book. I don't believe that the words in this book apply to me. And I have shared with people and have said, they've said these very things to me. They said, you can't tell me what's going to happen with my life. Don't speak to me about what your Bible says. That is not me. I am an independent person. And I have tracked these individuals' lives over decades. And I have seen the pain that their decisions have brought in their lives. Terrible pain. You say, this doesn't sound very Christian. It doesn't sound Christian because it says, I will laugh when your calamity comes. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like the whirlwind, when distress and anguish upon, come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. Hey, come on, I thought we're Christians. We can call and we can repent and God will forgive us. He will. He will always forgive. But you can't backtrack many of the things in your life. So, once you have trashed a marriage, very difficult to go back. You can't go up to a spouse when you've trashed the marriage and say, Hey, I'm a Christian. I, 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 I asked God to forgive me. So come on, move back in me and let's start all over again. Right? No. The marriage has been trashed. 
You think you just ask forgiveness and it's all back together again? It's back together with you and God. It's not back together with you and the whole rest of the world. And even though the spouse may very well be a Christian, there's been too much pain, too much hurt, and the thing is not restored. Do that with children. Think about children. I trashed my family. Didn't bring up my kids in the ways of the Lord. And now they're teenagers and they're gone astray and they're on drugs. But, hey, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. You know, I apologize. Come on back. Let's start all over again. Let's start going to church together. And now the 18-year-old says, oh, yes. Thank you. I've been waiting for that. I'll do away with my drugs and let's start all going to church holding hands as a family. doesn't happen. There's no going back. This is what it's talking about. When calamity comes, this is the very pattern that I've seen. The people who have said to me, your Bible means nothing to me. I've tracked their lives over decades. Marriage after marriage after marriage they have gone through. Strings of children from the marriages. And then the pain that the children go through because of the father's decisions. These are real issues with real people. And we say, well, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. Well, you know, there are decisions that you and I make all the time. Is the Holy Spirit a part of this decision? They sought God's will. The Holy Spirit spoke. They had their hands laid upon them and sent out Paul and Barnabas. There was union with the church. The church was very much a part of their active decisions. Is the church a part of our active decisions? Some of us have no dealing with the church. There's no relationship there. How can the church be a part of it? You can't just walk up out of the blue to the church and say, what do you think of it? There has to be a relationship. The relationship is built like a family. So what I try to display to you is that the church is not just a place where we come on Sunday. It is a community. It is the body of Christ, the Christian community, the group to whom we Show forth the submission of faith. And we say, hey, how do you feel about this? How do you feel? And so, you, you know, when I have pain in my life, and things hit me hard, you know, I'll go to Rogers, the associate pastor, and I'll get together with him, hey, this is what's happening. And try to get some wisdom here. And then as a result of that, every week he sends me another verse from the Scriptures that relates to this very situation I'm going through. So what does he do as the body of Christ? He's encouraging me in the ways of God. This is the body of Christ. This is the way it works. And it's understanding the ability that we have in the church as a community. It says that they were in that church in Antioch. I mean, the Holy Spirit spoke. Why didn't Paul and Barnabas say, we're out of here? The Holy Spirit said, go. No. The church had to lay hands on them and identify with them. The body of Christ is there. Truly, we will trash our lives and look back on this day. See, it said it right here in Psalm 1. In in, in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, it said it. That that, uh, calamity would come. And there's no backtracking anymore. Wisdom is laughing at me because I spurned wisdom, I spurned reproof, and I spurned good counsel. Don't you see what the Holy Spirit does? 
But because the Holy Spirit doesn't force Himself upon us, He doesn't command with a whip, He begins to speak to us through the Scriptures. And He speaks to us through others' lives. This is the way the church is. This is the church that God Himself, through Jesus Christ, has established. It is not with the whip. It is not with the sword. But He warns us, the Holy Spirit has input into our lives if we allow Him to do so. There is input. And then in verse 33 of Proverbs chapter 1, But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. That doesn't mean that no evil comes upon us, but we are at ease from the dread of it. We don't have to dread the future. Certainly, bad things come in life. Pain comes. But we don't have to live in dread of it. And in fact, we move on so much faster because of God. There's this enormous peace that comes in the midst of the bad things that come in life that allow us to move on, that allow us to get past it. Because remember, as we discussed a few weeks ago, death, even death of the believer, is not the end. That Jesus said, you live. He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. Well, if death is not even the end, this is tremendous hope. This is what the Scriptures have for us. Okay, turn back to Acts chapter 13. Reading from verse 5. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and also had John as their helper. So the first place they went on their first mission trip was to the synagogue. They first preached the gospel in the synagogue. Now that in itself would not say anything for a pattern, because remember, we can't build doctrine around this book, because it's in a historical book. But we build doctrine upon the clear teachings that are presented to us in the epistles. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, the gospel is first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile or to the Greek. They took the gospel first to the Jew. Paul always did this. And some, I think, inaccurately suggest, okay, he took it to the... The gospel was presented to the Jews. They rejected it, so you go on. What Paul did is we will find this practice in every town he went to. He would present it to the Jews. Some would believe, some would disbelieve. The disbelieving ones would cause trouble. And he would say, fine, and he'd go to the Gentiles. And he'd say, well, if he... he, he presented it to the Jews, they rejected it, he's not going back. No, the next town he would go to, he would go to the synagogue first, present it to the Jews. When they ended up rejecting it, then he would go to the Gentiles. Again and again we will see his pattern. I think we miss out in the body of Christ by not every opportunity we get presenting it to the Jews. We miss out in the body of Christ because we miss the scriptural pattern. So, and I, and I told you this before, so when a Messianic Jewish group, a group of Jewish people who believed that Jesus is the Messiah, wanted a place to fellowship on their Friday nights because they worship on Friday nights, that is their Sabbath, because Sabbath starts at Friday at sundown, they worship Friday nights, some Jews worship on Saturday mornings, Saturday before sundown. 
I told Roger, there's this group, let's open up a place for them. This is the scriptural pattern. Immediately when Roger said it, you know, I talked with him about it. He says, you're right. And they opened up this place for them. And they're having a grand time in, in the Cross Point Church, having their meetings. We are getting tremendous blessings as a body of Christ because of that. A man came to me, he says, I have a meeting with one of the rabbis in town. And, and uh, I want you to come with me and talk with him. And it's at 9 o'clock on such and such Tuesday morning. Well, at 9 o'clock in the morning, it's very hard to get my attention because, because I, I, I work very hard. And, and uh, uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm doing chemistry stuff. And, and uh, Sunday, I, I, I do a lot of things for the church and serving in that way. And generally, what I'll do is I'll tell people, if you want to meet with me during the day... Could you meet with me in the evening? Could you meet with me on a Sunday afternoon at my house? And I try to push aside Christian things to the times where, where I can really focus in on it. But to this meeting with this rabbi, I said, I'll be there. Why? Because this scripture, that the gospel was first to the Jew, I knew that if I presented the gospel in this setting to this rabbi, there'd be tremendous blessing on all the other parts of my ministry, which is mainly to Gentiles. And so I met with this Jewish rabbi and I, with, with this rabbi and I was telling him about, uh, he's from an Orthodox Jew, Jewish uh, uh, um, synagogue. has nothing to do with Christianity. He's not Messianic in any way. And I started to tell him about my life. And he says, well, what made you as a Jew want this Jesus? And for one hour straight, he just questioned me and I told him, what Jesus has done, the relationship, how I accepted him, and what's happened in my life, and the scriptures. and The guy was just totally amazed. Totally amazed. And he wants to get together again, and he says, he says he wants to read my website and the things that I put on there. God opens up doors. But it was first to the Jew. I was going to go specifically to put aside time that I wouldn't normally do for this sort of thing, but because he was a Jew. There is tremendous blessing by following the scriptural pattern. And Paul knew in many cases he was going to get dumped on by going to the synagogue. But in every city, he went to the synagogue first. And then he teaches us in the book of Romans, the gospel must be presented to the Jew first. Every opportunity that you get to present it to Jewish people, present it. There is great blessing in this. God made a promise to Abraham that was never annulled. That promise was, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Blessing for blessing and curse for curse. We've looked at this before. Throughout history, Abimelech was going to try to sleep with Sarah, Abraham's wife, and thereby disrupt the seed that was supposed to come through Sarah, only through Abraham. Curse for curse, God met Abraham in a dream, uh, met Abimelech in a dream and said, Abimelech, you are a dead man. And it closed up all of his wives' wombs. Blessing for blessing, curse for curse. You're proclaiming a curse on Abraham's wife, Sarah. I've made a promise to Abraham that through Sarah his seed will come. And you're trying to disrupt that. I've closed every womb of your wives. And plus, I'm going to kill you. He told Abimelech. And Abimelech went and brought this Sarah back to Abraham and said, Why didn't you tell me this was your wife? You know, 
And he said, pray for me. And then he prayed for him, and God opened Abimelech's wives' wounds back up. Blessing for blessing, curse for curse. Pharaoh said, throw every male child of the children of the Hebrews into the Nile River. Curse for curse. God killed every male child of the firstborn in Pharaoh's house and in his country. Blessing for blessing and curse for curse. That's why when you hear people speaking poorly of the Jews, just stay away from the conversation. Jews are just like everybody else. They sin just like everybody else. But let's just stay free of that sort of talk. Because remember what God said, blessing for blessing, curse for curse. Because there was a promise made to Abraham. That promise, again, Jesus followed through on in the New Testament. The woman, the, the, the man who blesses the Jewish people, Jesus would bless even if they were a Gentile. And we see the same principle here. The first thing he does is he goes into the synagogue. When they reach Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God, God in the synagogues of the Jews. And also had John as their helper. So here is Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. His ministry was a Gentile ministry. Specifically, it had been called to the Gentiles. And he told them this. But he first ministered to the Jews. First thing they did is they went in the synagogues, ministered to the Jews. Uh, th- this young man, uh, John, was their helper. And we had, met, we had seen John, who was also called Mark, back in 1225. And his mother was Mary, as we had, had seen earlier on. It was in her house where they were having that prayer meeting where Peter had come. So this young man is with them, and we're going to see this young man and what happens to him in the future. So, and it says, and John is their helper. This helper means like their baggage handler. This is what young men did in the body of Christ. I got saved at the age of 18. As soon as I got involved in the church, this is what I did. If I didn't have a herniated back at that time in my life, and I carried things, and I did things, and I set up chairs, and I mopped floors, this is what young men do in the body of Christ. John was their helper. This is part of fulfilling our role in the body of Christ, that when we're young men, we serve in this capacity. So learn how to serve in the body of Christ. I I shoveled snow, all of these things I did in the body of Christ. You do that too. This is the scriptural pattern. They buried the dead. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira were killed. What did the young men do? It says the young men, this was the first calling in the body of Christ was to bury dead people. Not easy to bury dead people. You've got to carry them out. You get defiled in doing it. You've got to dig a hole and put them in there. It's not easy. You ever try to bury a person? I never did, but it, it, you know, it, it can't be easy. And, and uh, um, this is what they were called to do. There is a service, a practical service, that young people are supposed to be doing in the body of Christ. And not just young men, young women. Do dishes. Learn to work in, the, in kitchens. Learn to clean up. This is a good thing. Guys can wash dishes too. Girls can set up chairs too. Women can shovel snow. Yes, everything is equal here. Women can bury the dead too. They, and, and, and in fact, if people see you serving in the body of Christ, they will like you more. You are more liable to get a good spouse if you serve in the body of Christ. Because people will see you and they'll think, wow, that's a, 
That's a neat guy. He does dishes. That's how Shireen fell in love with me. You see people doing dishes. And you see people working, working practical things in the body of Christ. You're more liable to get a good spouse. Because they'll see you and say, hey, it's a good person. Selfishness never breeds good friendships. This is what John Mark was doing. He was serving. He was serving these two men as they were ministering. Okay, let's read on. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 13. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for so his name was translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was known also as Paul, filled, up, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so, so here this guy, uh, Sergius Paulus, calls for Barnabas and, 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 and uh, uh, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Saul, to come and to speak to him because he's hearing about this preaching that's going on. And it says he was a man of intelligence, so he wanted to hear. And it's okay to hear. So a man of intelligence wanted to hear, what is this message? What is this teaching? I'm not afraid for young people to hear a teaching on Hinduism. It doesn't scare me. Because I believe that if you're rooted and grounded in the things of God, you will well understand what is superior. You will well understand the self-sacrifice that God calls us to and how superior that is. God coming in the form of a man and dying for us. So Sergius Paulus is a man of intelligence, it says, and he wanted to hear this new teaching. And it says that, that, that he was, he was uh, the proconsul in verse 7. That means that, that uh, uh, this region, th- th- this region um, in, in Cyprus was not under Caesar. It was actually Caesar had placed it under the Roman Senate. So it, it didn't have a tetrarch. It had a proconsul who answered to the Senate. And so Sergius Paulus was the proconsul, like the governor of that region, but he was accountable directly to the Roman Senate. And it, and it says that there was also a magician or a sorcerer, a, uh, a false prophet, whose name was, was Bar-Jesus. And, and Bar-Jesus means uh, uh, this, this son of Jesus, this relationship of, uh, of Jesus, but he was not the Jesus that we know. So, and it, we learn in verse 8 that this magician's name was Elimus, and he was opposing Paul and Barnabas, and he tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And then Paul opposes him, and actually speaks a word and says, you are not going to see the sun. Now, now think about this. We're, we're supposed to be nice as Christians, right? We're never supposed to say anything that would upset anyone, right? Because the worst thing we could do is to say something that might get somebody upset. 
If we've said something that gets anybody upset, that must be a sin, right? Not so. It is not a sin. Listen what Paul said and think about the words that this man is saying. And think about, have we ever said anything like this? I mean, Paul was pretty tough. Look at these words. Verse 9. But Paul, who was also known, Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, he's not speaking of himself. It's not like, oh, he lost his temper and this came out and he never should have said it. Because even we as believers do that all the time. I do it all the time. Say things I shouldn't have said. But the scripture makes it clear. At this moment, make no mistake, Paul is speaking by the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's overflowing. This is not Paul's old, wicked nature speaking. This is Paul speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures now make that clear in verse 9. Verse 10. And said, you are full of deceit and fraud. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Whoa. I mean, how's that for Christians speaking the truth? You are full of all deceit and fraud. All deceit? You mean, in everything I dece- I'm deceitful? All deceit? I'm full of every bit of deceit that exists in the universe. I'm full of it. Is that what you say? I mean, she says you're full of all deceit and fraud. You son of the devil. In other words, you see this little play on words. This bar Jesus means son of Jesus. But he's saying, no, you are son of the devil. So he's, he's correcting what this guy's name really should be. He's saying, you are the son of the devil. I mean, I've never even said this. And I've, I'm you know, from New York, I'm pretty frank, and I tell people what I think. But I've never said to anybody, you son of the devil. Never. I mean, this is pretty strong words. And if you think about it, Jesus was very much the same way. In Luke chapter 11, he would say to the Pharisees, you're blind guides. Of the blind. You are like dead men's tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're not on the inside. I mean, on the inside, you stink, you say. These were the words of Jesus. Now you see the same thing in Paul. Paul, confronted by the power of the Holy Spirit, he said things. And this whole idea that, oh, if he was a true Christian, he never would have said words that would upset people. That's not true. As believers in the Scriptures... Words were said all the time that upset people. If Paul wasn't upsetting people, why did they throw him out of the synagogues? Why did they try to kill him? He said lots of words that upset people. All the time. When we speak truth, it upsets people. This is what we're called to as believers. And the scriptures make it clear, Paul was full of the Holy Spirit at this instant when he's saying this type of thing. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you're going to be blind for a while. You're not going to see the sun. And a mist fell over the guy's eyes. He couldn't see. And he was walking about for someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul sees this, he gets saved. I mean, Paul wasn't afraid to speak the word and to have it come forth. And he said, well, what kind of God would blind a man temporarily? The kind of God we have. He did it in the Old Testament. He's doing it now again in the New Testament. 
The principle here is, if somebody is openly opposed to the gospel and steering people away from truth, watch out. You may not go blind that instant, but it's not going to go well for you. That's certainly the principle that we can get from this. That those who steer people away from the truth of God, things will not go well for them. And so when people oppose me, oppose my faith, when my colleagues do this, I'm thinking, you know, I don't proclaim that they're going to go blind because of the Holy Spirit hasn't so worked through me to say that. But I know it's not going to go well for them in their lives. You know, one young man emailed me. He says he has this, this professor who just is always ragging on the Bible and Christians and their view on things. And uh, um, he doesn't know quite how to handle this. And I said, well, why don't you get to know this professor a little bit better? Get to know her better. I said, I don't know her. And in fact, I just looked her up on the internet, on on the Rice website, just to get to know her, just to see that it was a her, and and just to see her face, because I didn't even know which professor he was talking about. I said, but get to know her. And... Find out some things about her life and her marriage and her children. Because by this picture I saw on the internet, she looked like she was in her 50s or early 60s, something like that. And I said, I bet she hasn't had that happy of a marriage. I'll bet she's not that friendly with her children. Because people who speak against the things of God and the people of God, and openly come against the people of God, it's sort of like openly coming against the Jews. Things are not going to go well for you. And I said, you know, she may talk all of these things, but learn something about her family, and I think you're going to see that you don't want to grow up like her. When you see what's happened in her life and her children, I'll bet her children don't like her that much. And there's not that much of a relationship. You wonder, how can I say that? Well, I don't know for sure. But just from what I've seen, those who are... You know, if you leave Christians alone in your classes and you just teach your subject, you don't have God coming and making you blind. But when you openly oppose, openly come against people of faith, things cannot go well for you just by the pattern of what you see in the Scriptures. So get to know her life. I bet it's not pretty. And I don't know, he hasn't come back to me, and I don't know for sure. But I'd be willing to bet that that's that's what it's like. Because I've just seen other people. People who are hard and opposed to the gospel. This is what happens in their lives. Because we reap what we sow. And so then others are hard and bitter against them. And they become bitter in life. So this is the pattern that we see in the Scriptures. It's a difficult life to oppose the ways of God. Even Jesus said that to to Paul when he met him on the road. It's difficult to oppose me, isn't it, Paul? It's difficult to kick against the goads. It's difficult to come against Jesus. It's a hard life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, I pray, I pray for myself that I would be more open to the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to guide my ways and my career and the things that are before me. Father, I know that I've missed out on so many things in life 
because I haven't been sensitive enough and willing enough to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to invite the Holy Spirit and His counsel into their lives by seeking You in prayer and in counsel and in understanding, learning to walk according to the ways of the Holy Spirit, lest, Lord, lest they trash their lives and their marriages and their homes and their children by going their own way. Lest wisdom mock them and laugh at them when they've so trashed their lives. Father, I pray that they could live free from the fear, from the dread of evil because of their willingness to walk then according to the Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank You for Your Word that that shows that, that Paul and Barnabas would first go and minister to the Jews. Father, every opportunity that these young people have to minister to a Jewish person, Father, I pray that they would take that opportunity. And even if they're so spit upon and cursed at, like Paul was, Father, I pray that they would not lose heart, but they would fall in under that blessing to Abraham. And Lord, I pray that you teach us your ways to speak your word and to preach your word. Father, I pray for these young people that you change their lives for good, that they would become gracious people and giving and submitted to the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.